Good afternoon. This is Marcus Grodi, and thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. We're coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios. Thank you for joining us. And uh, uh, just in case this is the first time, you can go to our website, deepinscripture.com, where you can listen to old Deep in Scripture programs. We'd love to hear from you. You can send us a question. Uh, you can also catch us at chnetwork.org. That's the website for our apostolate. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We've been doing Deep in Scripture for a long time, but this particular series of programs, we're focusing on hard verses. And what we mean by that, these are scriptures uh, that often, depending on a person's tradition or culture or background, a particular verse is difficult and it's not easy to interpret. Some verses are easy for some groups of Christians and yet also difficult for other groups of Christians, depending on where they're coming from. And so we're examining some of those scriptures basically with the goal of recognizing that our Lord not only gave us this wonderful inspired book, but also gave us a teacher to help us make sure we understand what this scripture means for our lives. I've invited back for our guest today on Deep in Scripture, a good friend, he was uh, Steve Wood was on the program just a couple weeks ago. Uh, but we, with Father's Day coming up, we wanted to get together because this connects with Steve's ministry uh, and as a result of that, he wanted, and I am, am glad he did, wanted to examine a particular portion of Scripture that is hard. Uh, not only is it hard to, well, let's put it this way. Um, it isn't hard just because it's hard to interpret, but because the, what it says is hard for people to accept in this day and age, in the 20th century and particularly now in the 21st century. So first of all, Steve, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the courage, as you do each week, to tackle a hard passage. <laughs> well, you know, the idea that some Scriptures are hard for different groups, I mean, just an, an interesting verse like God is love can be a hard verse, uh, depending on how you interpret it and what do you mean by love and uh, how does that help us understand God and what does it mean and and it can lead to confusion and so that's why we need the good theologians and philosophers and and guides in the church to make sure we get it correctly but this verse that you've chosen Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 through 33 that whole section now whether we'll look at that whole section today but but that context can be, is very difficult. And as I read in your book, in fact, there are places around the world where churches that have assigned readings for Sundays have found that scripture so difficult that they no longer preach on it. That's correct. It's down the Orwellian memory hole. <laughs> it, it, it's, but, you know, it's to the detriment of those very parishes and families. This isn't harsh. It looks harsh in today's context. But when we get into this, this is this is the heart of Christ trying to transform families. This section, which I'll read in a moment, deals with the issue of submission within marriage. It deals with headship of the husband. It deals with the wife being submissive and respectful of her husband. Uh, it also deals with the relationship of Christ and the church. And that headship and submission between Christ and his church, 
which would also therefore mean within the church, within the hierarchy of the church, between laity and the leadership. So this is all in that connection. So if you think for a moment, those of you that might have your scriptures open, just just think about local churches, nationwide churches, worldwide churches, families, marriages, what you see on the evening news, the issue of headship and submission, relationship in the family, it's all over the place. Even the whole understanding of marriage, husband and wife, husband and husband, wife and wife, who knows what people call them nowadays. I mean, we're in a mess. And Steve, I think by reading a little bit of your book, you're kind of saying the very subject that we're looking at today is maybe the key, the lack of it that has led to the confusion that's in our world today. Absolutely. Um, Popes in encyclicals have called this the foundation of the family. And if John Paul II is correct, and he is correct, that the future of the world and the church passes through the family, if the foundation of the family is being eroded, that means the whole structure, both culture and church, is in jeopardy. Yeah, we've, we've come so far in this culture in accepting what just a hundred years ago would easily have been just considered immoral lifestyles. And yet not only have we begun to accept them and bow to the pressure of particular interest groups that even our government is forcing on us, morality, I mean, even the idea of which bathroom are you going to use, I mean, it's getting crazy. And if we try and trace back where, you know, where was the, the decisions that led to the decision to the decision to the decision? What you're saying is that it's, in, in many ways, it's dealing with this passage that was one of the key stepping stones that's led to the confusion that is now not right. just filling our lives, but what kind of a world is it going to be there for our children and grandchildren? That's correct. And, and it's crazy. So before we get to the passage, one other thing, though, Steve, I'd like you to, to talk to the audience about what you do and why you do it, and which is why it's so important you to address this passage today. Okay. There are three Fs that summarize my work with uh, the Family Life Center and the ministry to fathers under that, St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers. The first F is faith. The second F is family. And the third F is fathers. And... What attracted me to the Catholic Church, I'm a little different pilgrimage on my way in, was the church's teaching on marriage and the family. I was a youth pastor, Protestant youth pastor, and I saw what the breakup of families was doing to their teens and how limited really I was compared to mom and dad and the home environment and, and the spiritual formation of kids. So I always had my radar up for something upon which you could build a strong Christian family. And much to my shock, I mean, real shock, was it led me to the doorstep of the Catholic faith. And and um, I really started analyzing all the other doctrines that I thought the Catholic Church was wrong because I was convinced it was right on marriage and family. So I went to my first Catholic conference, and they asked me to speak on why I became a Catholic. I mentioned all the wonderful things the church is teaching on marriage and family. So I got invited to conferences all around the country, and I'm 
extremely low, slow learner, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but I was going around to Catholic family life conferences and speaking to wonderful Catholic wives who wish wish their husbands were there with them to hear what I was saying about, you know, because I emphasize the role of the dad and the mom in the overall context of the family. And, you know, literally I put on thousands of frequent flyer miles until I said, you know, something is wrong here, that there seems to be a vacuum of guys active in Catholic family life or even interested. So uh, I launched St. Joseph's Coveting Keepers. It took me two years to figure this out and a lot of traveling. And really, um, I launched St. Joseph's Coveting Keepers, and this might sound funny, not necessarily for the guys, but it was the need of the wives that was so evident before me in all these Catholic family conferences. I thought, no, something really needs to be done to get the guys to share their responsibility in the family and get them on board. And, uh, you know, I was told by priests, I said, they told me that uh, since World War II, Steve, you can't expect Catholic men to respond to anything. And little, yeah, we were all very surprised that if issued a clear challenge, kind of like a trumpet call, uh, to Catholic fatherhood, guys respond in very significant numbers. And so really, uh, you know, I have been asked over the years, Steve, when are you going to start something for wives like you did for St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers? And my response is, I already have. And it takes them about 10 seconds. To, oh, oh, I get it. I know what you're talking about. Of course, because what's the best thing you can do for a Catholic wife, what can you and I do for our wives is just try the best we can to follow in the footsteps of St. Joseph, and that makes for happy wives and, yeah. and great Catholic families. I, I've often said, well, I shouldn't say often said it, maybe it's taken me all these years to fully realize it, and maybe now I'm saying it more often, that one of the difference, I look back on my many, many years as an evangelical, and then as a pastor, youth minister, and I did all that stuff too, as a Protestant minister, that now as a Catholic, and I've been a Catholic for over 20-some years, and now I'm over 60 asking what, I'm gonna, what am I going to do when I grow up? And for me, the, one of the biggest differences is as an evangelical, my focus was what do I knew, need to do to be saved? My faith in Christ, how am I going to make sure that if I died tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to heaven? Right. As a Catholic, my number one goal is to get my wife there so she can put in a good word for me, right? And my goal as a Catholic is how can I help my wife and my kids get to heaven? Almost more of a focus than me. And, and I've seen that difference. Not Marcus, you, you, you have really tapped into something here. <laughs> I, I do. You know, when I was a, uh, a young Protestant Christian, Somebody gave me Pilgrim's Progress, which had a wonderful, beneficial effect in my life. You know, just all the temptations on the way and everything else. But at some point, I can't quite remember when or where, I started thinking, now, wait a second. He got a call from God, packed up, and left his family behind and journeyed towards heaven. And I was just thinking, you know, if I would rewrite Pilgrim's Progress, it would like, what would this man do? He wouldn't set a foot outside his front door without his wife and kids yeah. with him, because that's 
That's the covenant. The whole Bible is the covenant and the unity of the family. And you, you hit on something, and it's really American individualism or modern philosophy or something, which makes us just the idol of self, because a man— uh, as we're going to see from the passage right. in Ephesians, it's n just like Jesus. Jesus didn't come uh, caring about his messianic uh, Cadillac he rode into Jerusalem. Oh, you're right. he, he could care less about stuff because he came to give of himself. Yeah. So th that that is very, very important. And so many guys have the same attitude. And it might not be religion. It might be sports, it might be right. the car in the garage, you know, or something else. But the idea to get it in your head that you're the coach of a team and you don't set foot on the field without your team. And that's that, that's a true conversion. And I, and, I and I believe that that's in the way that Paul wrote this passage. We'll see it there when we look at it, is that when he's talking to wives or when he's talking to husbands, he's not telling the husband what that husband needs to do to force his wife to do something. He's talking about what the husband needs to do for her sake. That's what we're gonna look at. And something else just crossed my mind when I look back on when you started St. Joseph Covenant, Covenant Keepers, there weren't a lot of men's groups happening around the country. No, there were not. There, there were not, and now we're yeah. seeing it. And I think you were a seed that really had a lot to do with that, Steve, and now we're seeing them pop up. And I believe they're one of the best things that's happening in the church. And the funny thing is I spoke recently at a men's conference in Springfield, Massachusetts. It was a really good conference, but the 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 head of it jokingly said the, the frustrating, the most difficult thing is he has all these women that are angry because they won't let the women come to the men's conference. And he keeps telling the women, no, 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 no. The best thing that can happen to you is to leave the men alone behind yeah. closed doors so that we can deal with them because yeah. that's the way we help them. You bring the women in, it's going to change the whole thing. The whole, you know. the whole dynamic changes. Yes, it does. And, you know, uh, this is very critical because, you know, I've done radio, Catholic radio call in for years. And it's like my prescription pad, get your husband to a Catholic men's conference, get your husband to a Catholic men's conference. And now you're right. They're springing up everywhere. That's the place. And he needs some space because we are very sensitive to our wife, uh, you know, kind of elbowing us in mass yeah. or something. Did you hear that or something? And no, it's, it's very, very critical. And you need to really, wives really need to support their priests and monsignors and bishops who have men's conferences saying you're doing the right thing. We appreciate it. And the, some of the best conferences I've been to is the wives have organized themselves into 24-hour Eucharistic round-the-clock yeah. adoration the week before this whole thing and started praying for guys who were resistant coming. I remember riding around in a car with a deacon for the conference and just getting up. Oh, Oh, so-and-so's off the list. He's coming. And, you know, that's the way it works. And believe me, uh, this is this is the best thing you can do for your family. And and, um, and those women out there, you may be wondering, well, when you guys get together, just you're just blaming us and what we did. And, you know, as if the guys are spending their whole time in that conference talking about how bad their wives are. That ain't what goes on. No. The reason you need to close doors because it's that's when the men are saying, I screwed up. That's when the speakers and the men are facing up to mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, what I've done wrong, how I need to put it behind me, how I need to go forward for the good of my family. That's what men need the freedom to do. 
That's right. Marcus, I've been married 37 years. I have six daughters, and I have to confess, I haven't figured out women. And I don't think many men have. But I will say this. Unless you're totally clueless and brain dead, we know that we ha are married to a superior being than ourselves. And, 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 it, and that's part of the – it's the uh, – what is it? The, the challenge to rise up when so many wives are already ahead of their husbands in living the faith in the family and such. And so for the guy to play catch-up, he needs some space. Yeah, yeah. And unless you're influenced in that way – and encouraged to move in that way, to break free from the influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil, you're going to have men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe even active in their churches, but never getting it, never getting that, um, you know, to really appreciate their wife and to rec when you look at your wife laying there on the couch and, and you're thinking, what am I going to do today? You're thinking, well, wait a second, what does she need me to do today? What will make her happy? What do I need to do to help her deal with her issues? What do I need to do to help her grow closer to the Lord? You know, and that is a conversion, as you said. I mean, it's a conversion to go through that. And we need the support of other men. Okay, all that being said, we're going to look at Ephesians. What I'm going to do is read it, and then what I want to begin by talking about, Steve, is let's just talk maybe obviously, but why this passage is hard. And even as I read it, I think the listeners are going to know full well. Beginning with verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is a profound one, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, I am saying that it refers to Christ. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, my friend. What's hard about that text? <laughs> well, the most interesting thing about this, I think, is that what is hard today was easy in the day that Paul wrote this. In other words, you want to look up at a passage of Scripture in the cultural context of those who received Paul's letter to the Ephesians. What were they thinking? And it wasn't a real shock for them. It is for us, but it wasn't a real shock for them to hear that the husband had a leadership role in the family or that a wife was supposed to submit to that leadership role. What Christianity came to do was not become 
a revolution, but a transformation. It's what would Christ's sacrifice and the grace coming through the sacraments and the life in Christ do to transform the family? The shock back then, so to speak, is what the husband is called to do, because the husband is called not to abandon his leadership, but to transform his leadership into that like which Christ had. Hmm. And Christ didn't come as Archie Bunker, okay, wanting to everybody to revolve around his personal whims or something like that. He came literally to sacrifice himself. And there's a lot of actually books written by Christians today, Catholic and evangelical, discovering your masculinity and all. If you want to know the heart of masculinity, it's called the cross, <laughs> where Jesus Christ just pours out his life for us. And it just says, for the husband is head of the wife. And that wouldn't have been the shock. But the shock is, as Christ is head of the church, ooh, see, that's transforming. No. It's not getting rid of the head. Now, I'll grant, there are guys who have really hurt women and treated them very badly. And as a result, you have probably a lot of the fuel for the feminist movement that came in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and all of that. But rather than ditching the pattern, uh, Christ restores it and transforms it from the inside out. I mean, think of it. What woman wouldn't want her husband to love her, to sacrifice for her, to serve her, to put her interest above his own as Christ did. Uh, and it's very interesting because we want to put this in kind of like contemporary political terms. Like you're saying, well, if the husband's a leader, then the women are inferior. This has nothing to do with equality. I personally, I know this is not Catholic teaching, but I don't believe in the equality of men and women. I personally feel women are superior, but whatever. I was in uh, Russia one time doing a men's conference and part of my conference packet i urged the conferences to contact the local media because i said there's a lot of guys just wandering out there who will come out of curiosity to hear what the catholic church has to say for husbands and fathers well little did i know that here in you know russia which wasn't that long ago a communist country uh, they contacted the secular press. <laughs> I didn't really intend this at all. So anyhow, for my media interview, in comes this girl with leather pants, uh, a jacket and a beret, you know, kind of. And then she opens her jacket with a Jake Avera sweatshirt on to let me know exactly where this interview was coming. And then she said to me, did you come to Russia to learn how to end the oppression of women and all this kind of stuff and went on and on. I let her talk for a minute or two. I said, actually, no, I don't have anything to do with that. What I came here to do was to teach husbands how they can love their wives. And I explained how St. Joseph served in the Holy Family and that that's what I was trying to do. And she became quiet, just like a little kitten, very <laughs> receptive, because see, in the human heart, this is what the human heart is made for. And here what St. Paul is trying to do is show how the transformation of a man, this, the, the, yeah. the, the response, I mean, the wife was in this culture was simply continuing what she was supposed to be doing anyhow. That wasn't the revolution or the real transfer. It was the husband's change, which was so revolute and how that was going to take place. Would you say then, the, if we wanted to get a glimpse of what the culture was like then, would we say 
in in the Islamic world is that closer to the kind of culture that that Paul was was trying to evangelize in other words were the it just understood that the man's head of everything and the woman um uh probably two-thirds of the way i hate because uh, i mean so that's you, that's an yeah, extrapolation therapy. in a different direction right. but at the core of that yeah were the yeah. assumptions of the family yeah a father could determine whether or not his children lived or died he, he had absolute authority uh, over the home and but it and this even, isn't like politics. Right. And and even like when when our Lord member was called in to mo- uh, monitor a debate between two rabbis as to what were the uh, conditions on which a man was free to divorce his wife. I mean, behind that debate was the assumption that, yeah, the man is in that position to decide. Uh, you know, and so as yeah. you just, the point was, as you're saying, the real point of this passage isn't addressed at the wives, because that's in line with what was already the assumption. It's that the men had to re-examine how the Lord had changed their hearts and therefore is changing their relationship with their wives. That's correct. And the mistake comes, now we need to then, you know, take this till today. Right. Today, this is so shocking to the ears because when a wife hears she's supposed to submit to her husband, that she doesn't have a mind, she doesn't have a say in what happens in the family, that she's somehow inferior and all these other type of things. And really what St. Paul is trying to do is like we need to keep these traditional structures. And to get rid of the abuse of the structure— we don't get rid of the structure. That's what revolutionaries yeah. do, and they always get something worse than what they sought to trash. And and Paul is keeping. In fact, the verse you you started with, the one that causes uh, well so much misunderstanding, right. to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ in verse twenty one, that is a almost like a title for not only everything in the rest of chapter five. But it goes right into chapter 6, because remember when St. Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapter divisions. There were just paragraph divisions. And so Paul is saying, be subject to one another. He's talking about husbands and wives. And then he talks about children in the family. And he has a particular word to dads, again, about not being too harsh with the kids. But it's not like the children don't have to obey any longer. That was very (laughs) common, you see. That was a re restating of the common knowledge from Judaism and even the wider Roman culture, but the father tempering that, and then the slaves and the masters. St. Paul didn't eliminate slavery, but he transformed it by the way that masters and slaves would look at each other and planted the seeds that hopefully it would eventually extinguish. So we're talking about the whole relationships here and how they be transformed by the inside out. But if you take the mutual submission notion of verse 21, which is very common in Catholic circles, as you know. Uh, I'd say easily 95% of folks today would go with that. Well, then you're saying not only that wives submit to husbands, but husbands submit to wives. Well, the text doesn't say that. It has something different for the husbands. It's to self-sacrificing service to his wife. And then if you keep on the mutual submission would mean that parents submit themselves to their kids. 
not like kids to their parents because that's part of the same context. That would be like saying when kids say we want ice cream for dinner instead of meat, potatoes, and vegetables, the parents should mutually <laughs> submit. So they, no, that, that's ridiculous. Although that would, I was just going to say, sadly, uh, yeah, some some of the marriages coming out of the '60s and '70s, uh, it was an egalitarian thing. Let everybody have. I mean, there've even been entire TV shows. Uh, um, de- dedicated in the idea that you get the whole family around the table and everybody's got an equal vote. I mean, it's just chaos. It, it, it is chaos. And, you know, we're living, you know, like post-French Revolution. Uh, my thought was that was like a fire going up and and it never really went away. It's turned into really hot coals, which has really permeated our thinking, our culture. And that's why it's hard today is because the notions of the rejection of all forms of authority, church, state, and family. And it's ultimately rejection of authority in any earthly sphere is a rejection of God's authority, because that's really what it will come to. It's a worldwide rebellion against all authority, and things don't work when you do that. They literally fall apart. And that's why uh, Pope Pius XII, when he called the husband the head of the family, it says this is the structure of the family, its fundamental law, established and confirmed by God, must always and everywhere remain intact. And if it's abandoned, it leads to the proximate danger of ruin of the family. And now, that's pretty serious stuff. Now, I want to, you to hold on to that statement for a second, because this is the message that part of what this program is trying to tell our viewers, not tell, but to share with you, talk with you. And we'd love to have your thoughts on this. When you don't have an authoritative guide to help you understand what the Word of God is saying, and you encounter a difficult passage like we're looking at, where every voice in our culture, including maybe the voice of the person sitting across a dinner table, challenges our role as a husband and a father then how are you going to interpret the Word of God? Are you going to close it and put it up on a shelf and forget about it? Or are you going to try and live it out? And there's the danger. I, you know, that verse, 21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Just that verse alone, historically, as has in the last hundred years, has had such a theological battle amongst theologians, commentators. In fact, I even have written in my Bible here, which is the Bible I've used for almost 25 years, that in fact, that verse 21, there was no grammar in the Greek. There was no, there was no punctuation marks. So it can be seen not as a, as a sentence unto itself, but as the concluding statement of the previous paragraph, so that it should be read... And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, always and for everything giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, period. In other words, the whole context was setting up what the body of Christ is, how to live together. For example, families, working relationships, fathers and children, and the church. All are subsumed under that. But if we're up to ourselves to interpret it, we can make it say anything we want. That's why we need leaders like you just quoted. That's the point of that passage. Yeah. 
I'd like to go back just for a second because, you know, you pointed out something. The mutual submission supposed verse is the conclusion of a, a sentence that begins several verses before. Right. And I'd just like to bring it home for the guys. First of all, Paul says, you know, understand the will of the Lord. Well, the will of the Lord for you, if you're a married man, is your wife and your family. That's the will of the Lord for you. And then he says, don't get drunk with wine. And, you know, I'm not a teetotaler, but I, I do know that too much alcohol and men yeah. does not make for pleasant domestic situations. <laughs> right. Every bad stuff, words and actions uh, connected with alcohol. So, okay, let's get rid of that because you can imagine an ancient Roman home, a, uh, a husband or father comes home drunk or one in the 21st century comes home drunk, a lot of bad things happen. So that's off with Christianity. And now instead you get the Holy Spirit. And so if you're gonna to try to read this passage, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be thankful and sing and praise uh, God. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have this passage. You're not going to come near to loving your wife as Christ loved the church out of your own steam. It's out of your union with Christ, being filled with the Spirit. That's why, really, it's John Paul II called the gospel of the family, is that the gospel has a way of transforming human beings, not destroying human structures like the authority of the Father, but transforming them inside out so that where you do have a drunk maybe wife slapping or kid beating drunk husband now you've got a servant who has his life under control being led by the holy spirit and truly uh and i've had some long calls with wives who thought you know exactly what you thought well what are you actually teaching my husband at this conference <laughs> by the time i got off the phone I would say just about close to 100% were in our court because they saw what we were trying to do is bring Christ's love into a family. And uh, guys aren't excluded from that. You know, it, it's not just wives. Guys have to be included in that dynamic. And that's the heart of this passage. Yeah, behind this passage is our Lord giving the new commandment that you love one another as I loved you. So that's in John 15. If you look at that as maybe the, the, the text upon which Paul is building his argument, love one another as I love you, if that's the text, then we see, okay, how does that flesh out? Well, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So no, there's, there's the basis. And and the reason I'm emphasis, it doesn't say husband loves your wives <clears throat> if they're lovable. Husbands love your wives uh, if they submit to you. Husbands love your wives um, uh, and then you fill in the blank. Nor, exactly. do, nor does it say wives be submissive to your husbands if they love you or if they're kind or if and then fill in the blanks. Because what I've, and Steve, you're far more, uh, been working with this much longer than me. It seems to me that for a wife to be able to submit to her husband the way she needs to be free to do, 
we do as husbands need to empower her to do that by loving her. And wives, for the husband to be free to fulfill his function, his call as head of the family to love, for him to be free, he needs that submissive giving of his wife. It's a, it's a give and take. It's not, I'm going to love you if you submit. No, but I'm just saying for that love, to, for the husband to be empowered to fulfill his calling, the wife needs to freely give of herself to her husband and vice versa. Sure. But I, I will say this, if you want to know what goes on at one of our St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers conferences, is that I put the responsibility on the husband's shoulders. It says that he's the head. That means he's the leader. What do leaders do? Lead. Okay? Leaders lead. And I'm talking about leading in service. Uh, Father Paul Check, a great priest friend of mine who's now heading Courage, prior to becoming a priest, he was a Marine tank commander. <laughs> and as you can imagine, the Marine Corps has a pretty rigid hierarchy. Okay? You, you, you obey your order. He was in charge of a tank unit. All enlisted men, he was the only officer. And he said, when it came chow time, my responsibility was to see that each and every one of my men had food and were served first. And if there was some left, then I ate. And I thought that's a perfect illustration. Yeah. It's not, you know, oh, I'm the head and it's this very non-Christian view of authority, which is just trying to uh, aggrandize self and pleasure of self. No, it's the emptying of self for another. And you know what? Every human being is wired for that. That's in our DNA that God put in human beings. That's the heart for both God and human love and through the Holy Spirit and what Christ came to do. That makes it possible. But I would say, yeah. yes, both have to do it. But if I would put it on somebody's shoulders, guys, yeah, and we're the leaders. What I, and I agree with you 100%. And if you compare the, the parallels between Christ and the church, husbands and wives, parents and children, or dads and children, and masters and slaves. So bring master-slave into our modern environment where you have the manager of a business and his workers. You have, if you, if you, if you look then at, at Christ and the husband and the father and the manager, all called to imitate Christ and uh, to do everything they can for the good of those f for whom they're responsible. Christ for the church, husband for his wife and family, father for his children, master for his workers. In an environment where they are servants and giving of themselves completely, that's why both sides of the equation need to happen. The husband can't force it to happen or can't wait for it to happen. But in talking to wives, they're saying, you have to see why it's important. Because if a husband is completely a giver, trying to be a complete giver, married to someone who's a complete taker, it can be tough. Or if a husband is, if a father is a complete giver for his kids, but the kids are only takers. Or if a manager wants to be a complete servant and giver to his employees, and they're only interested in taking it sets up a very difficult environment. So that's why Paul talked to both and reminded them. Sure. If, if Paul had only said, okay, wives, you know your job, you're in your culture, you know what it's supposed to be, let me talk to the husbands only, 
then maybe the wives would have said, well, maybe that applies to me too. Maybe I can have that same freedom. And But he's saying, no, 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 there's, there's a balance here. And as you were saying, it was the husbands that needed to get in line. But also the wives and the women in that culture, Christ had already said in terms of faith and in terms of kindness and all that, they were an equal environment for everyone within the family. It wasn't a... Certainly. And they're looking at their husbands through new eyes. This is a very subtle uh, transformation because if it, if it was me, and you can be glad I wasn't the Apostle Paul, I would call for a revolution, <laughs> right? We're going to just change things. And, and rather than just throwing away structures and starting from scratch, which so often in human history we do, He's just calling for the traditional structures to remain because there are reflections of the original structures God created in the, in the Garden of Eden. But what sin has done is, is deface those and distort those, and now he's, he's bringing them back. And, and it's not going to happen all at once. Um, you know, yeah. marriages have problems. They have ups and downs as working this out. But there is a transforming effect that God can work through the structures that he set up in the very beginning. And just for those of you that think, well, just Paul had it wrong. Uh, if you go to first Peter three, that paragraph, you'll see that it's the same that the apostle Peter was saying, first of all, wives be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. So he talks of that, but then he also says, in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, you husbands live considerably with your wives, bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker sex, since you are joint heirs of the grace of life in order that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, I mean, so it's a part of our spiritual life to give exactly. completely of ourselves for our wives. Um, in closing, Steve, some words of advice out there for guys and for wives. Some words of advice, how to, how to put this into action, how to interpret this and then kind of start from now living it a little better. Yeah, I would include priests because they're fathers, too, yeah. um, in, in a very real sense, not a pretend sense. The, uh, uh, I would love to see more of a team between priests and dads uh, kind of get together, maybe even have a beer together, go to a men's conference together, but uh, have a cup of coffee together, spend some time together. Um, I think in a parish, but I do think given the confusion of our times, to get away on a retreat or even just a Saturday men's conference is simply invaluable because you'll be challenged to do the things and equipped and find ways of doing things you, you would want to do. And I would really just share with wives that you play a key role in this because I, I, I've watched over the years if it wasn't for the wives registering their husbands wisely doing so for men's conferences, they would have flopped. And I share with wives, you know, um, not only encourage your husband to go to a men's conference, but give him a little gift card to a great steakhouse so with he and his buddies can have a good steak on, you know what I mean, yeah. with a great blessing, and it will just come back a hundredfold. You and your children will be blessed. I've had some of the most heart touching comments from wives just thank you the change in my husband from one day so i mean that's something you can do uh, i've got a newsletter for dads it's absolutely free just dads dads.org and sign up it comes out once a month but and just google 
Catholic men's conferences, they're springing up everywhere. They're wonderful. Yeah, and yeah, I couldn't agree more with, with everything you've said, Steve. Thanks so much. Uh, everybody, thanks for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Go to dads.org to find out more about what Steve's doing and to get connected there and look for ideas to uh, start some fellowship in your area that um, you can start a Start a men's meeting at the local restaurant on Saturday mornings. Just go for a cup of coffee and eggs or the local IHOP or something and just get together and start building relationships. I do believe that um, that one of the things that the devil did in the 20th century, more than anything, has destroyed the intimacy of relationships. Man to man, man to woman, woman to woman, adult to child, child to child. Just every relationship is suspect. And it's getting more suspect all the time. And so men need friends. We need friends. And uh, that's a, a key way that we can reach out to one another for, the, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Again, chnetwork.org is our website. But if you want to find out about Steve, go to dads.org. Thank you. Come with us again next week and uh, go to deepinscripture.com and listen to some of the other programs. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you. See you again next week. Thank you.